Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Warren and I bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, more media outlets are converting to nonprofit status. Will that change how news is reported? Also on today's program, conservative Anglicans win a major lawsuit against Episcopalians in Texas. And a well-known ministry leader, Brian Loritz, is facing tough questions over his academic credentials. Up first, the men's ministry Promise Keepers has canceled its planned rally this summer, another casualty of the COVID-19 crisis. Yeah, Colorado businessman Ken Harrison has been working to resurrect Promise Keepers by taking it back to its roots, which are mass gatherings of men. And they were going to start with 80,000 at the AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas this summer. Even after the coronavirus forced a national lockdown, Harrison uh, remained determined. Yeah, he said back in April that he wanted to reassure everyone that they were still planning on having the event at AT AT&T Stadium on July 31 and August 1st. At that time, he said, we will be having 47 different states and several countries represented, some as far away as Zimbabwe and Norway. Uh, We don't know what's going to come with all of this, the virus, but we do know, though, that we won't have our lives ruled by fear. But the organization recently changed course, announcing that this year's event will be virtual only. Yeah, in a statement on its website this week, Harrison said that not only would this year's event be virtual, they still hope to do the AT&T Stadium event in 2021. Is there a silver lining to all this? Well, that's possible, uh, because even though Promise Keepers had been huge back in the 1990s and the early 2000s, it was not at all clear that they were going to be able to fill AT&T Stadium and other stadiums like that again. Uh, times have changed, and those kinds of big stadium events are just not in vogue the way they were 20 or 25 years ago. And so doing a big stadium event also involved huge financial risks. Doing a virtual event, as they'll be doing now, has a much lower cost, and it might also kind of get people back into the movement in a way that they wouldn't have been able to if it had been a live event. Now, Warren, you attended a few of these Promise Keeper events throughout the years, haven't you? Yeah, I did. Uh, And they were, for a few years, a real cultural phenomenon. I attended an event at at Charlotte Motor Speedway that had about 50,000 people. Uh, The biggest event was the so-called Stand in the Gap event in Washington, D.C. that took place in October of 1997. Uh, It was one of the largest events ever to take place on the National Mall. The crowd size has been estimated to be anywhere from 600,000 to nearly 1 million people. And I understand that you were scheduled to go to this event, but you had to change last minute uh, your plans. Yeah, I did. Uh, I had planned to travel with a group of men from Charlotte, North Carolina, to write a story uh, kind of about the whole experience for a local newspaper. But as I said, the event was in October, and I had been promising my kids all summer that I was going to build a treehouse for them in our backyard. Well, the summer came and went, and I realized that I wouldn't have too many nice weekends left to build that treehouse. So it really 
for me came down to a choice. Was I going to leave my family for the weekend to attend a Promise Keepers event, or was I going to keep my promise? So I stayed at home that weekend, and uh, together we built a really nice treehouse that probably lasted about 10 or 15 years uh, in our backyard. I missed going to that historic Stand in the Gap event, but I was able to listen to it on the radio. It was broadcast nationally. Once again, I think another indication of just what a cultural phenomenon it was at that time. And I got to say, I think I made the right decision. I do too. And now, Warren, before we move on from this story, we should note that Promise Keepers events is far from the only live event canceled this year because of COVID-19. And you've got some data about that. Yeah, the arts and culture nonprofits in the United States are facing about a 12.4 billion dollar revenue shortfall due to COVID-19 based interruptions. That data comes from the nonprofit Times and a report from Southern Methodist University and the National Center for Arts Research. Uh, the figures are based on surveys about closures, layoffs, and overall impact to date. It assumes that most organizations will resume activity by October, but if that doesn't happen, um, the impact could be even greater than this $12.4 billion number. But Christians are stepping up to that challenge, and you have an update on the Churches Helping Churches initiative that we've been reporting on over the last few weeks. Yeah, through the Churches Helping Churches initiative, a relief fund has been set up that will provide $3,000 grants to churches that are at risk of closing due to a decrease in financial giving during the pandemic. The initiative is being led by the AND campaign, and its original goal was $500,000. We reported on that first about probably three weeks ago, but it has now far exceeded that goal, raising a total so far of about $689,000. The fund has received over 1,300 applications for funding since early April, and a May 15th benefit simulcast brought in more than 700 donors and raised about $150,000 in just that one event alone. So this Churches Helping Churches initiative is targeting congregations of 25 to 150 members in low-income urban areas primarily, though some rural churches will be getting funds. Uh, Those churches have been disproportionately impacted by the COVID-19 economic shutdown. Warren, we have to take a break, but when we return, the Texas Supreme Court rules in favor of the conservative Anglicans in their property fight with the Episcopal Church. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And we'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Weekly Podcast. 
Up next, conservative Anglicans win an important legal victory in Texas. Yeah, the Texas Supreme Court awarded a Fort Worth group affiliated with the Anglican Church in North America the right to about $100 million in church property. The ownership of the property had been in dispute since the ACNA affiliate group broke away from the Episcopal Church in 2008. The ruling on Friday, May 22nd, is the latest over properties held by congregations and dioceses within the Episcopal Church. They've been fighting about this for decades. And the Texas ruling may be the first time that a breakaway diocese has prevailed. Yeah, it, I think that may be right, and that's what makes this decision a significant one. For more than 20 years, former Episcopal Church congregations have been leaving that denomination. The departures have been the result of a drift in the Episcopal Church that began in the 1960s and accelerated in recent decades with the ordination of openly gay clergy and in 2003, the elevation of an openly gay bishop. Now, most of the churches left at great personal cost, since according to Episcopal Church governance, the diocese and not the local church is the legal owner of most church property. Um, now, many have joined ACNA. Many of these departed uh, Episcopal parishes have joined ACNA, which again stands for the Anglican Church of North America. It was formed in 2008, and ACNA has more than 1,000 congregations and 120,000 members. The Episcopal Church, meanwhile, has been in steep decline. They claim 1.6 million members in the United States, but in 2018, the average church attendance was really only only about 600,000. Now, Fort Worth is a special case. A majority of clergy and lay leaders, not just in a single congregation, but in the entire Episcopal Diocese of Fort Worth, voted to leave. And this fact apparently made a difference in the Texas case, though other complete dioceses have left and were not able to keep their property. So this ruling might not actually apply to other Anglican churches around the country. Yeah, I think that's right, though a breakaway group in South Carolina, for example, won the right to its property in a lower court. That ruling, though, was overturned by the South Carolina Supreme Court. In 2018, the U.S. Supreme Court turned down an appeal of that South Carolina case, and that, of course, left the um, state ruling in place and cleared the way for the national church to retake ownership of those uh, South Carolina properties. So all of this likely means that the Texas decision won't apply to individual churches that are in property fights, but there are, as I said, some dioceses that are in property fights, and it could apply to those situations. It also suggests that the U.S. Supreme Court will be pretty reluctant to step in to these situations unless absolutely necessary. But now you have the South Carolina Supreme Court ruling one way and the Texas Supreme Court ruling another way. Won't that force the U.S. Supreme Court to intervene to resolve the differences? Well, not necessarily, but you're right. It does complicate the situation pretty significantly. It'll really depend in part on whether the liberal Episcopal Church decides to appeal this decision. If they do, that might allow the conservatives in South Carolina to take another swing at the bat, so to speak. Okay, so we'll stay tuned. Now, while we're on the subject of denominational news, you've got news about the United Methodists. Yeah, I do. Uh, in fact, if 2020 had been going as planned, this week, United Methodists from around the world will be wrapping up their two-week 
meeting in Minneapolis, where they had been expected to discuss a measure that would split the denomination. But as it is, the coronavirus pandemic has forced people into their homes, closed businesses, and of course, canceled events well into the summer. So the quadrennial United Methodist General Conference, that means once every four years, has been postponed until next year, possibly late August or early September of 2021. Many U.S. United Methodist leaders see the delay as a blessing, allowing more time uh, and cooler heads to consider the split. Yeah, but some have also expressed concern over continuing harm that may come to the denomination who has many people that are just eager to move on after literally decades of debate, once again, over LGBTQ issues within that church, within that denomination. So delegates to the General Conference uh, had been expected to take up a proposal called a Protocol of Reconciliation and Grace Through Separation. That proposal was negotiated by 16 United Methodist bishops and advocacy groups from across theological divides, and it would commit $25 million to create a new conservative traditionalist Methodist denomination. Now, calls to split one of the largest denominations in the United States has grown since last year. In fact, in 2019, a special session of the United Methodist General Conference approved the so-called traditional plan. The traditional plan strengthens its bans on the ordination and marriage of LGBTQ United Methodists. That's right. That's the um, plan that I called a protocol of reconciliation and grace through separation. You called the traditional plan. They're the same plan. Uh, the protocol, though, wasn't the only thing on the global agenda uh, for this year's planned meeting, which has now been pushed back. Uh, delegates also have to take up other important matters, such as setting the denomination's budget for the next four years. Warren, let's pivot in our conversation and talk a little bit more about Ravi Zacharias. His death was announced last week, which saddened many of us. Uh, But we also mentioned that back in 2017, he was involved in a lawsuit with a woman who accused him of sexual impropriety. And there's been new developments in that story. Yeah, a woman uh, that Ravi Zacharias sued in 2017 is now asking for release from a non-disclosure agreement that she signed as part of the settlement of that lawsuit. Uh, her name is Lorianne Thompson, and she claimed that Ravi Zacharias solicited nude photos of her after they met in 2014. Zacharias denied the claims and filed the lawsuit that you mentioned. He said that Thompson and her husband, Bradley Thompson, were attempting to extort funds from him. The lawsuit was eventually settled, and Lorianne Thompson signed a non-disclosure agreement as part of that settlement. But now, with the death of Ravi Zacharias, she's asking to be released from that non-disclosure agreement. Uh, she's saying that the heirs of the NDA give her a full release from the terms of that agreement. Because, as she says, my husband and I now have nothing that we do not wish disclosed. So where is this likely to go? Well, it's not at all clear yet. Lorianne Thompson uh, says that she is no longer bound by the non-disclosure agreement because she claims Ravi Zacharias breached it when he issued a press release describing it in 2017. Well, if that's the case, then why doesn't she just speak? 
Well, she says that even though she's not legally bound to keep silent any longer, she is afraid of yet more lawsuits or, at a minimum, more legal fees to defend her rights. That's why she's asking the Zacharias family for permission to speak. So is there any word from the Zacharias camp? Well, not yet. Ravi Zacharias International Ministries did respond to my request for a statement. Uh, in that statement, which was made by uh, Senior Vice President Abdu Murray, uh, he said that RZIM was not a party to the lawsuit, the mediation, or the non-disclosure agreement, so can't possibly comment on any request to modify it. Only the Zacharias family can address that. And given that, it's just been a few days since Ravi's passing and a few days before his memorial, uh, we don't think it's appropriate to raise it with the family right now. Fair enough. But others have also been speaking out. Yeah, that's uh, correct. Uh, Steve Ballman is a lawyer who has for a number of years been running a website called Ravi Watch. And he wrote, not only did Mr. Zacharias himself disregard the agreement uh, in December of 2017, but his passing surely diminishes whatever interest was served by requiring the Thompsons to remain silent. I should add that Ballman, though he's an attorney, does not represent Ann Thompson. And Lorianne Thompson has gained at least one high-profile advocate. Yeah, Rachel Den Hollander, who is also supporting uh, Lorianne Thompson's effort. Many of our listeners may know that Rachel Den Hollander wrote a best-selling book about her sexual abuse um, and has been an outspoken advocate uh, for uh, sexual abuse survivors. She tweeted on May 21st, I stand with Lori. I echo her call for release from the NDA, the non-disclosure agreement. Then Hollander went on to say that survivors never trust an attorney who will let you sign an NDA. Pastors, leaders never hire an attorney who will request one if you are truly seeking guidance in doing what is right. Now, moving along, there's another high-profile Christian leader in controversy of a different kind. Yeah, author, speaker, and pastor Brian Lawrence, who has claimed to be a doctor in um, various social media settings on his website, Instagram, and on Twitter. Yet, according to a story by uh, Julie Royce on her website, The Royce Report, uh, Loritz has no earned doctorate, and the honorary doctorate that he has comes from an organization called St. Thomas Christian University, which is a school that seemingly has no accreditations that anyone can find, is not registered in its home state of Florida, and has been given an F rating by the Better Business Bureau. According to Julie Royce, both LinkedIn and a 2010 article published by Biola University said that Lawrence was a candidate for the Doctor of Philosophy degree at a school called Oxford Graduate School. Now, most people think of Oxford University, but it is in no way associated with Oxford University. In fact, it now calls itself Omega Graduate School. Roy said that Omega Graduate School did acknowledge that Brian Loritz had been a student there in the doctoral program some years back, but has since withdrawn. Now, this story is particularly relevant because on Sunday, J.D. Greer, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention and the pastor of Raleigh-Durham's Summit Church, announced that Loritz will join the pastoral staff at the Summit Church. 
Yeah, J.D. Greer called Lawrence one of the most gifted pastors and preachers in the United States. And I got to say, I've heard Brian Lawrence preach, and I would agree with that assessment. Uh, He is very gifted. Uh, As one of the church's executive pastors, Lawrence will oversee leadership development, work with the church's ethnic diversity initiative, and join the multi-campus preaching team. But it was Summit Church that confirmed to Julie Royce that Lord's degree was, in fact, an honorary degree from St. Thomas University. And as I said, in 2018, the Better Business Bureau actually investigated St. Thomas University, and that was when it gave the school its F rating. It basically said that the college would award honorary degrees to just about anyone who would pay a $494 fee for a cap and gown, pay for a banquet dinner, a picture and a video, and by the way, donate $1,000 to a university scholarship fund. Lortz begins his new job at Summit Church on June 1st. Yeah, and the very next day, June 2nd, Moody Publishers will be releasing Lortz's new book, The Dad Difference, The Four Most Important Gifts You Can Give Your Kids. Now, before we take another break, Warren, you've got an update on the Christian Post story you've been following. And for those who have not been following the story, can you give us a quick recap? Well, yeah, to make a very long story short, the former president of the Christian Post, William Anderson, has pled guilty to a $35 million fraud and money laundering scheme. That fraud includes overstating the page views of the Christian Post website in order to sell advertising at inflated prices. Now, one of our reporters, Steve Raby, wrote a series of stories on the Christian Post and its fraud, and a part of his story was that a number of well-known evangelical leaders had been listed by the Christian Post as editorial advisors. And one of those was June Hunt, a well-known ministry leader and radio teacher. Yeah, that's right. After Steve Raby's story ran, June Hunt reached out to us to say that she has asked the Christian Post to take her name off of its list of advisors. She's the latest in a number of evangelicals who have tried to distance themselves from the Christian Post in the aftermath of our stories. And oh, by the way, William Anderson, the former Christian Post president who pled guilty to the fraud, is scheduled to be sentenced next week. Warren, we're going to take another break, but when we return, more media outlets are going nonprofit. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next, a couple of media stories. The first one is an example of a trend in media these days, and that's a conversion to nonprofit status. 
Yeah, the Chicago Reader is an alternative newspaper based in the Windy City, Chicago, and it's looking to attain nonprofit status as a way of surviving in this evolving media landscape. Leaders there are exploring raising funds for the publication and a variety of other Chicago media outlets. This step is the second step of the process. In 2019, the Chicago Reader founded the Chicago Independent Media Alliance, the CIMA, a consortium of independent media outlets to provide editorial and business opportunities. Yeah, and the reason that I wanted to cover this story, uh, even though there's not a pure Christian ministry angle, is that this is a growing trend in media, and it is impacting Christian media. If the Chicago Reader is successful, in fact, it'll follow in the footsteps of the Salt Lake Tribune, which in November became the first legacy newspaper uh, to be granted nonprofit status by the Internal Revenue Service. The Tribune is currently the primary beneficiary of the Utah Journalism Foundation, which is a standalone nonprofit entity that now gives money to the Tribune. Similarly, earlier this month, a group of people rallying under the heading Save Our Sun announced their intention to purchase the Baltimore Sun and convert it to nonprofit status. Save Our Sun is made up of several organizations, including the Papers Union, the Gold Seeker Foundation, and the Able Foundation. These are two Baltimore-based community philanthropies. This has been ongoing for a long time in Christian media. That's right. Most media outlets, including World, Christianity Today, and most of the major radio stations are nonprofit. In fact, several investigative journalism organizations in the secular world are also nonprofit, including ProPublica and the Center for Public Integrity, and of course, Ministry Watch itself. And in public broadcasting, there's nothing but nonprofits. Uh, they include all the public television stations as well as NPR and all of their affiliates, which, when combined, have recently become a major force in the news business. And while we're talking about media and nonprofits, there's been a new development in the largest nonprofit Christian radio ministry in the country. That's right. Contemporary Christian Music Giant Educational Media Foundation, which is the parent organization of K-Love, Air One, and WTA Media, is launching a new podcast platform called Access More that will stream a growing library of faith-based podcasts. The initial offerings will include Dare to Be with Grammy-nominated singer Natalie Grant. I should also add that Educational Media Foundation is moving into video as well, and sources have told me that they'll be announcing movie projects within the next few months, and that should come as no surprise because they've also got a new president, Bill Reeve, who came from the movie industry. And that would be an amazing combination, Christian movies with the access to the promotional power of the largest Christian radio network in the entire country. Yeah, I think it could, in fact, be a game changer for the Christian movie business for sure. Okay, so one more media story before we go, and this one is about us, about Ministry Watch. Yeah, that's right. Beginning last week, we started posting Bobby Ross's weekend plug-in column on our website on Saturday. Uh, you know, we've been a five-day-a-week content producer up until now, but I'm really excited to offer Bobby's content every Saturday. It's essentially a digest of news and links to stories on what he calls the God Beat, uh, religion and ethics coverage. Bobby's a seasoned journalist, and I'm excited that 
his byline will now be a regular part of the Ministry Watch website. Now, if you'd like to read more about the stories we discussed on today's program, just go to ministrywatch.com, and you'll find them right on the front page. And if you'd like to dig around in the Ministry Watch archives for hundreds of articles and other great resources, use the search engine, which is also on the front page, to find what you're looking for. Yeah, also, before we go, I just want to thank uh, everyone who's made a recent gift to Ministry Watch. Uh, If you've made a gift of any size to Ministry Watch, uh, you know that between now and the end of May, which is just a few days away, uh, we'll be sending you a free copy of the book I wrote with John Stone Street. It's called Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People. It's full of great stories of God's people doing God's work in a beautiful but broken world. And by the way, this podcast continues to grow as well. If you're one of our new listeners, I want to say welcome. And if uh, you like what you've heard, I hope you'll be with us each and every week. And I also hope you'll tell a friend. And don't forget to rate us on your podcast app. It doesn't cost you a dime to rate us. It takes only a few seconds, but it really does help us out a lot. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DuBerry, and Casey Sedeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Steve Raby and Warren Smith. And thanks to our friends at the Nonprofit Times for contributing materials to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. May God bless you.